My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. The disquietude that has gripped our nation has become a matter of concern for your correspondent, especially as it manifests among the good people of Truvo, Mississippi. Folks waving at you from across the street, never daring to approach, the Lady Society of Truvo canceling their bake sale and other piquant events, and the improved order of Heptasov snapping a padlock on good old Lodge 23. Why, even First Baptist isn't immune from the derangement. Reverend Wally, he's having us gather in the grass beyond the sanctuary while he shouts his sermon out the window. Never noticed it before, but his voice sounds downright reedy without the indoor acoustics. Meantime, over at Zeb's barbershop, the crazy fellow's trying to cut hair from six feet away. He'd need to be an octopus or grow monkey arms to do that. And over at Clemmer's Value Food, all I did was ask for a dozen oranges, and old Ethan chucked them at me from across the store. Near took my head off, but he said he was just keeping a social distance. Imagine. Well, I've, I've had just about enough, and that's more than enough, I'll tell you what. So I'm going to relate a story, and a powerful one, too. Compelling enough to set minds at ease and, and return this republic to the status quo, for it will demonstrate exactly how to vanquish this pestilence. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the tale of Buster Claw. That's right, Buster Claw. As low a jackanapes as ever trod Truvo's main thoroughfare, though this was some decades back. Now, Buster, he was a runty guy, no, no more than five six in those snakeskin boots he wore, but well-muscled, especially topside, and when he walked, he'd strut, kind of like that Bluto in those old Popeye cartoons. Marry this with a love of home brew and a hair-trigger temper, and you had one bad hombre. Some boys blow off steam of a Saturday night, getting stewed and throwing fisticuffs. Not all right, but understandable to a degree. But there are others who engage in such practice every single night of the week. And Buster, he was a charter member of that club. Yes, sir. Talk about a social distance. Nobody'd come within half a mile of that fella. Else you might catch something. And by that I mean catch a beating. That's what you'd catch, all right. There was even talk that this iniquitous character was hopping over to Zare County for a crime spree. Several homes had been broken into, jewelry filched, cash appropriated, even a safe blown open. And since his intemperate behavior had lost him his job at the sewage plant off 315, it was only a matter of arithmetic to figure how Buster managed to afford that fancy Jeep Gladiator with the flames detailed along the side. So what to do with a virus like that? Note I said virus, just to drive home the analogy. But what to do with this metaphorical microbe infecting our peaceful municipality and staining our spotless reputation with felonious ex exploits? Well, friends, here's what came about. I was in Clemmer, see? Of course, at this time, it was run by Ethan Jr.'s daddy, and 
and I'm at the register with my eggs and my grapefruits and my fresh-cut beef bologna, and as I pick up the bag to go, old Ethan Sr. says, And here's something extra. With that, he slips a folded-up piece of paper into the bag. Well, now, soon as I returned to the truck, curiosity got the better of me, and I uncockled the fool's cap. The contents? Just this. Eight o'clock tonight, town hall. Tell no one. Seemed like real spy stuff, like in a super-secret agent flicker or some such, and as a young swain, I couldn't resist the frisson of excitement this provoked. So comes eight, there I am. And if I was directed to tell no one, somebody sure did, because the whole town was there. Seems they'd all been slipped notes. At the market, and the seed co-op, and the hardware store, and even the barber shop. Owned those years back by Ephraim, Zeb's papa. The only one who wasn't there was, you guessed it, Buster Claw. For it was only him we were not to tell. First selectman Keeley Wise took to the lectern and banged his gavel, quietening the rackety audience, most of whom were as ignorant as I of our conclave's intentment. My constituents, says he, if I may have your attention. You may, says Gopher Trask, born in the last decade of the 19th century and still a firebrand in the 20th, if you tell us what this hoo-ha is all about. I shall, sir, says Keeley, for I would not bid you come sans reason. Then lay it out, demands Ned Pulloyne, still in his overalls from the Sinclair station. Are you deaf, brother, says Keeley? I just said I'd do. You're here because... And for a moment, being the consummate politician, he paused for effect. We must come together as a community to do something about this buster claw. Well, this set off a cacophony fit for the Tower of Babel. Everybody shouting about this and that, what punch he'd thrown at whom, which lawn he'd passed out on when, or what squirt he'd bullied into incontinence. Keeley's gavel sounded again. Whatever tales you're telling ain't the worst of it, says the first selectman, because through my very own political intercessors, I've heard tell the Zier County Sheriff's Department is planning a cross-border raid to turn Truvo upside down, an extra-legal action to nab the culprit behind those break-ins. Now that turned the catch-and-jammer up a notch, with cries of, String him up and call the governor, from those who sought a solution that was either quick or illicit, respectively. But neither solution was workable. Hanging would make me an accessory to murder, says Keeley, and I've got a political career to consider, which was indeed smart thinking on his part, for a few years later, Mr. Keeley Wise vaulted all the way to the State House of Representatives, where he kept his seat for one whole term, and we all walked a little prouder for it. Furthermore, says Keeley, the governor needs Zare County in his camp far more than it needs Truvo, so he's square in their pocket. Well, look here, says Devona Moss, widow of Randall, grandmother of ten. If the capital won't help and we can't kill him, what's the point of this gathering? I think there's a middle ground, says Keeley. So I'm asking all of you tonight to cook up a plan to rid us of this reprobate. 
No hanging and no governor? How are we supposed to make this shoe fly, says Devona, sarcasm dripping from her hard country voice. Hand him the key to the city? And folks, it was at that moment a light bulb turned on in Keeley's head. I mean that almost literally, too, because I swear I saw his eyes suddenly shine brighter. Key to the city, he repeated. Key to the city. Then he snaps his fingers. That's it. That's how we confound this fella. And Keeley, he lays it all out for us. We were skeptical, I'll tell you that. But with our options dwindling and Zare County poised to strike, we agreed to give his scheme a try. So it was the next morning a conspiracy was launched against young Buster, one he doubtless remains ignorant of to this day, assuming he's still above ground. It first manifested at the grocery. See, Ethan Sr., he boasted a huge barrel of peanuts with a metal scoop on a string. He was right by the door, first thing you saw when you entered, and folks would just serve themselves, shoveling those nuts into a brown paper bag. Then they'd present them at the counter, where Mr. Clemmer would weigh the bag and part with it for two cents a pound. A pretty good deal, and there was always a trail of shells leading from the market door. But Buster, well, that didn't suit him, no sir, because he liked his peanuts for free. So every morning, Monday through Saturday, that rapscallion would start his day bursting in upon the patrons and burying his big hairy mitt in that barrel. Then he'd fill his pockets, throw Ethan a toxic glance, and strut back out again, yes sir. And that seemed like good fun to Buster. But on this particular morning, that baneful flash of the eye was not met by a scornful expression from the proprietor, nor even by the sheepish one that passes twixt victim and bully. No, sir. But Buster received from Ethan Sr. was a warm smile as the old man bid the young one to, quote, not be so shy and take some more. Heck, says Ethan, if you can't fit more peanuts in them pockets, I'll go suck an egg. One of my own, in fact, fresh out of the hen. Well, Buster, his own expression didn't change a bit, except maybe to register a glint of annoyance back of that noxious gaze. Then he pushed through the door and took off, having failed to take Senior up on his offer. Next, Buster made his way to the hardware store. There was always good fun to be had there. Boxes of nails to accidentally drop so they'd scatter across the floor, forcing old Morris Newbody to spend half his morning on his knees picking them up again. There was that superglue to pour over the nails so poor Morris couldn't pick them up. There were even screwdrivers to punch holes in the side of paint cans while Buster cried, Look, I'm tree sapping! Buster, he doted on those visits and the dread they inspired in the proprietor's mean. Except today, when the little bell above the store tinkled to announce his entry, Buster was confronted not with an expression of horror on Morris's countenance, but one of welcome and good fellowship. Good day, Brother Buster, came the warm greeting, causing the miscreant to doubt his own ears. And how may I oblige you? Well, Buster, looking a bit confused, 
obliged Morris by grabbing a ten-pound steel extension spring, stretching it way back and firing it straight across the store into a stack of drywall sheets. This raised a cloud of silica dust, which taxed poor Morris's lungs and induced a coughing fit. Buster cracked a malevolent grin, gleefully anticipating the gent's spluttering, bootless plea for mercy. But once his chest had quietened, Morris betrayed not chagrin, but solicitude. "'Are you all right, Buster?' asked he. "'Those extension springs are mighty dangerous, filled with hazardous potential energy, as the physicists might say.' "'Of course, I'm no science expert,' continued Morris, "'but I like to think I'm a good neighbor.' "'And with that, he pulled a first-aid kit from behind the counter. "'Are you suffering any lesions, lacerations, or abrasions "'allowing to your, owing to your parlous misadventure with latent elasticity? "'Might I proffer an unguent to mitigate any discomfiture?' "'Now Buster's expression transmuted from malevolent to bewildered.' I don't want no discomfort. I don't want it, says he, irritable as a toothache. Then he stormed out the door, hungrier than ever for for devilment. At which point, to his pernicious delectation, he espied Clarissa May Honeycutt on her way to work at Felton Plumbing Supply. Now there, he thought, strode an easy target for his mischief. Twenty-year-old Clarissa May, she was pretty as strawberries, but devout as Moses. So it didn't take much ill behavior on Buster's part to induce outrage from the pure young thing. Why, he had only to follow at her heels to make the gal quicken her pace, while a boorish remark, of which the villain had dozens, would elicit multiple threats to call the law or the preacher or daddy or some authority or other. Maybe all of them at once. And you surely couldn't blame her. Some men are gentlemen and some are not, but Buster was in a class by himself. So on this day, when the scoundrel approached and then kept pace with the young lady, he expected the accustomed reaction. But darn if she didn't maintain her velocity, neither accelerating nor decelerating. So Buster, he let loose with a powerful string of untoward suggestions, a couple of which involved, you'll pardon me, her nandy pants. But this drew no rise from the gal, who merely sustained her trajectory, eyes straight ahead. Frustrated, Buster unleashed his most potent prevarication, which I dasn't share with any creature who walks upright. Well, sir, this stopped Clarissa May in her tracks, causing a near collision Buster was so close behind. Then the young thing swung round, looked Buster in the eye, and said, Buster Claw, are we going out on a date or not? Uh, says Buster, his jaw hanging open. What? I said, are we a couple next Saturday? Because I need to know now. I, 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 I guess, says Buster. I, what do you mean date? A date, Buster. Where you don yourself a nice suit and tie and pick me up and meet my folks and bring flowers for my mama and take yours truly to a fancy restaurant? Fancy, says he. How fancy? Like the Porta Bean Cafe on Highway 3 North, says Clarissa May. And you get the check. I, I what, says Buster? You pay for everything, says she. And then, and then, says the bully, and then... 
Now here's where Clarissa May got real close up into Buster's face and lowered her voice to a whisper. Then you start making good on all those promises you've been directing at me on the street, because I'm betting you can fulfill each and every one. And with this, Buster's face flushed red. I, I, I don't know if I can remember them all, stammers he. Oh, sure you can, honey, says the gal. And if you don't, I'm sure a virile male like yourself can devise a few new ones. I'd, uh, I'd do all those things, says Buster, but see, I, I'm, I'm busy Saturday. Oh, whispers Clarissa May, her lower lip in a pout. Too busy to show a gal a good time? Maybe, uh, maybe the next Saturday. Or the one after that, says Buster, who looked as if the wind had been knocked out of him. I'll call you. Sure, said the young lady. Let me just give you my number. I'll get it later, says Buster, who removed himself at a fast clip and then some. That night, instead of haunting Shed's roadhouse, where nightly he engaged in tyranny and fisticuffs, Buster was sitting on the curb outside the self-service car wash, swigging a bottle of 80 proof. By the way, that car wash, it lasted only about six months. I mean, folks in Truveau just wash their vehicles at home, as God intended, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, there sat the incorrigible, drunk and morose, having had no fun at all that day. Everyone so amenable to his antics, getting a rise from anybody was like pushing a rope. In fact, he was so down in the dumps, when Preston Moss strolled by... It took all his will to disembogue a bellicose, what you looking at? At which point Preston stopped and said, why, nothing at all, friend. Well, I ain't nothing and I ain't your friend, growled Buster, so maybe you'd just like a punch in the nose. As a matter of fact, I would, returns Preston, and to Buster's great surprise, Preston punched himself in the nose. That's much better, says the passerby, dabbing at his self-inflicted nosebleed with a handkerchief. Have a fine evening. And off he went, leaving Buster to lower his head in bewilderment and frustration. Next day, the young man failed to appear at his various Main Street purlieus, and he wasn't seen the next day either, or the next. He was a boarder at Lydia Sue Almond's place, so finally Keeley Wise, accompanied by Ned Poloine and old Gopher Trask, paid a visit there only to learn that the boy had moved out three nights prior. Said the town's too boring and sex-crazed, said Lydia Sue, adding, Don't reckon I follow that. How could a place be both at the same time? Still, I didn't question. Just watched him load up his truck and take off. Can't say for where. So the first selectman's plan had worked. Instead of resisting Buster Claw, the populace welcomed his shenanigans, and in doing so, drove him near crazy and straight out of town, never to be seen in these parts again. Someone thought he moved to Georgia, but I've no evidence. If so, I hope he proved a better citizen of the Peach State, because they don't mess around in the Deep South. Anyway, this is a sure illustration of how to deal with that virus got everybody tied in a knot. You want it to go away? Just don't fight it. And if you get the opportunity, humiliate its manhood. That'll send the fella packing, or the virus. At least, I guess so. Actually, I, I may have gotten off track there. Oh, well.
Play me out, Zeke. 